wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly with what you said, Blake, that it's been, it's been a special summer. Um, just being with God and God's people in, in his word. Um, and um, yeah, there's no other place I'd rather be. I used to dread, as I spoke about last week, coming on Sunday mornings, wondering if God was going to show up. And, and now there's no other place I'm most excited to be in. So we're just going to continue. We're going to continue leaning on him and receiving what he has. And um, I'm, I'm, every Sunday I'm noticing more and more people that I haven't connected with or met with. Um, and I just want to say thank you for coming. Thank you for being here. I turned to my wife in worship today, and I'm like, man, this is a room full of people who love Jesus. And there's just no greater place to be. I hope you feel that. There's just no greater place to be. Um, so we're preparing our hearts. If you, if you don't know, if you're just visiting us or haven't connected in a while, and we're pre- preparing our hearts for what's going to happen at the end of this month which is really for our lives, but there's an emphasis at the end of this month, what we're calling altars. And in it, the pinnacle is seven straight days of worship and prayer, um, particularly in the evening, seven straight evenings of worship and prayer. And um, there's more information on that on our website, or you can look at past weeks for announcements. Um, and then for five days in a row, Monday through Friday, we're going to be meeting here noon for prayer, if you can make it. Um, And then last Wednesday, we had this night of teaching and preparation for that. And this Wednesday, we're going to do that again. Blake will let you know a bit more about that. But we've been sitting in this verse that has anchored us for the past few weeks. It's Revelation chapter 1. It goes this way. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. And why I keep bringing this scripture up is because you see the entirety of the gospel in it. This verse and a half, you see that he loves us, he freed us from our sins, and he's made us to be. This is one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. And all of this is unto him. This is not about us, this is about him. What he's done and how he's made us to be in result of what he's done. And what we're doing over these weeks is making the connection between who we're made to be. We talked about the priesthood, right? Making a connection between who we're made to be and how we're made to function. And I just want to give you a hint. If you aim at those two things, that is the definition of fulfillment. If you can find out who you are, why you were born, And then find out what it means for your life. You will walk in fulfillment. And is that not what the world is chasing? Is that not what your heart wants? To be fulfilled in who you are and why you're here. Yeah? You guys are waiting for me to say something deep. (laughs) This is why we're here. This is why we need him. So today we're going to look in Mark chapter 3. I'm going to ask everybody to stand with me as we read today. Just take a moment to posture your heart. And on your own volition and in your own way, just open your heart for what God has for you today. He has been speaking. He has been moving. He always will. The question is whether or not your heart is available. So take this moment. Mark chapter 3, verse 13, it says this. Jesus went up on a mountainside, and he called to him, 
those he wanted and they came to him and he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We just yield our hearts to your spirit who reveals the word to us. We ask God that we experience nothing less than the fullness of what you have for us today. That we don't want to come and go the same. We want to encounter with the living Savior, Jesus. So we look to you, our source of life. And we yield our hearts to you once again, in Jesus' name. And we can all say, amen, amen. amen. That was a throwback to the 90s. And all the people of God said, amen. Yes, it works. It still works. Yes. Mark chapter 3, Jesus, so the book of Mark in particular, let's talk about this. The book of Mark is one of the four gospels that we have in the Bible. And obviously the guy who wrote it was a man named Mark, one of Jesus' disciples. But particular to Mark, like there's four gospels and they tell the same story, but they tell the story from different angles. And Mark's bent, among other things, was displaying like the miraculous nature of Jesus, that if his claim was to be the son of God, here are all these events and miracles that prove his authority, that prove his power. That's kind of Mark's angle. And so we have here this passage where it says that Jesus called his disciples up to a mountain to be with him. And then he sent them out with authority to drive out demons and to preach. It's a pretty peculiar passage. And then later, the same writer, Mark, Mark chapter 9, you guys can do your math, it's just a few chapters later, same story, same ministry of Jesus. We have this moment that many of us would be familiar with when Jesus went up a mountain, another mountain, and he brought three disciples with him, Peter, James, and John. And on this mountain, it's called the Mount of Transfiguration, they see Jesus transfigured, and beside Jesus was Elijah and Moses. It's a powerful moment that Peter, James, and John got to experience. There's so much there. But then they come down off this mountain and they find the rest of the disciples in kind of a controversy. And the controversy was this. They go out with the authority that God gave them to cast out demons, just as we read, and they are met with a demon that they can't cast out. There's a little boy who keeps on having seizures and his dad asks them for help and, and they can't do it. They're frustrated. They can't move in the thing that God actually sent them in. And then Jesus comes down off the mountain with his boys, Peter, James, and John. And the dad of this boy comes to Jesus and he's like, what's up with your boys? Like, I heard that you gave them authority to cast out demons. What's going on? And then Jesus kind of rebukes them a little bit. He says some pretty harsh things. Not the, not the dad, he rebukes his boys. He says, how long must I put up with this wicked generation? I'm gonna leave that one for you to study. How long must I stay here? And then the dad asks Jesus, like, can you do this? And Jesus is like, do you believe that I can do this? And he says, I do. And this is where we get the phrase, help my unbelief. 
Jesus casts the demon out of this boy and then he falls to the ground as if he's dead. Everybody thinks that he's dead, but he's just at peace. And then Jesus grabs him, raises him up again, and the boy is good. And the disciples are like, Jesus, what in the world? I thought you gave us authority to drive out demons. Like, what is happening here in this scenario? Why couldn't we do this? Why is it not happening? And in this tension, we have one of the great mysteries of our faith. I don't know if you've ever tried to cast out a demon before. Some of us, some of us in this room. But there are many things in our lives that Jesus has said go and do, whether it's for everyone or specific to you, that we have stepped out in. And even though Jesus called us to go and do it, we don't actually see the result that we thought we would see when we went and did it. So although this passage is about exorcism, it's about way more than this. And so Jesus, in response to his disciples' question, why couldn't we do this? And the implication is, you told us we could do this, and now we can't do this. Why can't we? And this is what Jesus says. Very simply, he says this. This kind can only come out by prayer. And in some manuscripts, it says prayer and fasting, but fasting just emphasizes prayer again. Fasting being an intense period or season of prayer, which we're going to talk about a little bit more in the coming days and weeks. Have you been here before? Come on, don't make me wake you up. You can nod your head or you can just tell me with your eyes. Just let me know that you're in the room with me, okay? Don't make me say online, write it in the chat, guys. I'm not going to be that guy. <laughs> Have you been here before? Yes. Yes. <laughs> wow, okay, good. <laughs> Where you stepped out in faith based on something, I don't even say you thought God told you to, that God told you to. You go out to do it, and it doesn't happen the way that he described it. Let's sit in this tension for a moment. This is the same writer. It's not two different gospels, two different stories. It's the same writer who wants to tell you a story about who Jesus is, allows both of these two events to coexist six chapters away from each other. I think we like to live the lives where we have Moments of faith, and then we have anomalies over here that don't line up with our faith, and we're like, oh, let's just like call that a margin of error. When in fact, Mark is putting those two things together and saying, let's talk about this. Let's live in this tension. Why in the world, when you have told us to go cast out demons and given us authority to do so, I can step out in space, say, Jesus gave me authority, demon get out, and the demon doesn't leave. How humiliating. Like the reputation of Jesus is that he's all powerful and he can do the thing. Remember Mark's emphasis, power, miracles. And here are his closest confidants and friends and they can't even represent him. And then Jesus isn't even happy about it. You go out and you do it and it falls flat. 
in front of an audience, no less. Yikes. And let me just make a note that right now, in the age we live in, social media, cell phones, the world is our audience. You take a stand on social media, you go out in faith, or you tell people about it. The world is watching. It's not just a few people around anymore. The stakes are even higher when it comes to the display of Jesus in our lives. But this is good news for you. But I want to say in the Christian experience, the following Jesus life, this is an issue. Can we agree? And I don't think it's just an issue. I think it's the issue. Doing what he sent you to do and then lacking the authority to do it. That's a paradox, isn't it? Two, two things that don't seem like they can fit in the same space, yet they do. This is what we're getting in the book of Mark. Is a paradise. Paradox. Paradise? Yes. Paradox. <laughs> Forgive me. And then we experience this, and, and at best, we try again. Anybody know those people of faith that nothing can get them down? Praise God for those people. At best, at worst, we disengage from anything God has said. And there's a word for that this day and age, and it's called deconstruction. We tear the whole thing down because it doesn't work the way someone told me it should work. And somewhere in the middle, and this is most of us, I think, we live nominal Christian lives that fall short of all God has given us and all the promises he has for us. We fit in here somewhere, don't we? And all along, Jesus did send them to do it. And Jesus did give them authority for it. But they missed a key ingredient. Jesus says this kind can only come out by prayer. The only way you're going to be able to walk in the authority that I've given you is by prayer. Look how simple. Whoa. Look how simple the solution is. He gave them authority, but they had to engage the authority he gave them. And that happened through prayer. Everybody ready? You guys ready? Mark 3 again. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him. Can you say to him? Yeah. He called to him those he wanted. By the way, can I just say, if Jesus has called you to him, he wants you. If you feel unwanted or unloved, but you've heard his voice, he loves you and he wants you. Amen. Amen. And they came to him. They responded. And it says, he appointed the 12 that they might be with him. Well, let's state the obvious here, Mark. Obviously, if they called them to, if he called them to him, then of course they, Jesus wanted them to be with him. But Mark goes out of his way to emphasize this moment that Jesus, in calling them to him, he wanted them to be with him. 
and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. He called them to him. They came to him so they might be with him. Simply put, end of the story, this is your calling. Not to go out and drive out demons. Not to go out and preach. Your calling is to be with him. He called them to be with him. Then he sent them out to drive out demons with authority. And prayer, very simply put, is a means of being with him. Prayer is a means of fulfilling your calling. If you want to know what you were born for, go listen to the message two weeks ago. But if you're engaging with what you're born for, you can't go beyond or neglect the place of prayer. Prayer is a means of being with him. They liked the invitation from him. And they really loved being sent by him. But it was so easy to miss the point of it all, to be with him. And we get another tension. This sounds romantic. It sounds great. It sounds like, yes, I want to be. It's what we felt in worship today. God, I want to be with you. But if you take this scenario literally and we look into it, how could they be with him when he was on up, up on a mountain with three of his chosen ones? He was literally not there. Jesus called them to be with him, right? They can do that in proximity. Six chapters later, Mark 9, Jesus is nowhere to be found. And here they are trying to do what he called them to do, but he's nowhere to be found to be with him. If Jesus was here, of course I could cast this demon out. Because if it didn't work, Jesus, what do we do? Here we go. And then Jesus comes back down the mountain and he's with them, kind of upset with them. And then the demon comes out. Of course we can do these things if Jesus is with us. But his answer to the question that we're engaging right now, how do we be with him when he's not there, he answers in one word. Does anybody know? Prayer. Yes, I'm not here. But I've also given you the means of being where I am with me in your moment of need, and those means are prayer. So the question is this, what is prayer? Anybody have the answer? You're just scared that it's complicated. It's very simple. Prayer is communication with God. Let's boil it down for a moment. Let's distill this. But communication is a means of connection. Communication is the greatest means of connection. You ever heard someone talk about their newfound relationship? Someone they just met, hopefully not on an app, but probably on an app. <laughs> we just have a connection. You heard that before? I'm going to marry this person we met three days ago. We have a connection. Nobody in this room, of course. <laughs> if you have that story, God bless you if you're married. I'm praying for you. But we know that phrase. We have a connection. Well, how in the world did they find that connection? Was it telepathically? Well, some people in Vancouver might say so. 
<laughs> but in our reality, no, that connection is not like, the example still fits, I'll digress, okay. How do they have that connection? Through communication. The only way they could say what they said about connection or find connection, whether it's in three days or three years or 30 years, connection happens by communication. If you have a marriage that is dissolving in its connection, it's probably because there's not good communication. And if there is communication, it's bad and disruptive communication. But where there is good communication, there is good connection, right? We're human. We know this. Prayer is simply this, connecting with God through communication. Can we just, I mean, it's not an awe-inspiring point, but can we let the simplicity of, us, of it hit us where we need? If you feel like you're lacking connection with the Lord, what do you need to do? Develop your communication with the Lord. Prayer is connecting with God through communication, but more accurately, prayer is engaging the connection you already have with God. Prayer is simply this, the invitation in Mark chapter 3 by Jesus to be with him. I'm excited about this. We're engaging one of the deepest mysteries in Christendom, can you live in this tension with me for a moment? If we want to live the lives Jesus has invited us to live, we cannot neglect the place of prayer. Holy Spirit, would you come and stir our hearts that this is not just a talk, that you draw us deep into your heart today. If we want to live the lives Jesus has invited us to live, we cannot neglect the place of prayer. If we do, our lives will become the definition of frustration. Trying to make things happen and not being able to make them happen. Okay, you're all good, right? I mean, like in life, you're good. No frustration. Trying to make things happen and not seeing them happen. That is the textbook dictionary definition of frustration. Anybody frustrated in this place? Frustrated in purpose? Frustrated in calling? Frustrated in marriage? Frustrated in relationship, in career? Frustrated in identity? Trying to step into something? Trying to make something happen and it can't happen? This is what we're seeing in this text. This is not about demons. This is about walking in the call and purpose of God in your life and not seeing any fruit from it. We all should be in this place of tension because Jesus says they will know you by your fruit. They will know that you're disciples of mine by your ability to cast out demons if we're going to put ourselves in this text. They're going to know your disciples of mine when you engage in realities that are outside this world that the world cannot offer. 
when you walk in peace and you walk in love, when you're generous beyond something that's reasonable, they're going to see who I am through you. When you lay hands on the sick and they're healed, when you give away your money and God provides for all your needs, when you go out in faith on a missionary journey, whether it's to the end of Vancouver, the ends of the world, and God gives you what you need, when you need, how you need it, and fruit to come. Lives being transformed. God has called us to fruit-bearing lives. How much fruit do we have? This is not an indictment. This is to sit in the tension of God has called us to more than we're realizing. But the question isn't whether or not God has called us to it. He has. He's called his church to be the church. The question of the day is whether we're engaging what he's given us to realize the fruit that he's called us to. And it's simply this, prayer. Prayer. There's this pastor, I heard him tell this story a number of years ago, and I've shared this with you before, but I'm going to share it again. His name is Robert Ferguson, and he went on this kind of missionary journey to a space in Africa. I, mean, I can't remember what country it was. But when he went there, he found out, he probably knew this before, but in real time, he, he, he found out that there are kingdoms in Africa. Like we hear of prince, princes and princesses and kings of different tribes in Africa. And we might not recognize them in the way that we would know, like monarchy, but they do. And when you step onto their land and their ter territory, it is a kingdom. And so Robert Ferguson, when he went to this space on a like, journey with the Lord to do the things that God has called him to, they said, you got to go talk with the king. Before you can do anything here, you need to have an audience with the one who is in charge. And I remember him saying this one line, and this is about 10 years ago, and it has not left me. He said this, an audience with the king is necessary for any activity within the kingdom. And in that space in Africa, in that tribe, in that kingdom, he realized that if he did not have an audience with the king before fulfilling his agenda in that space, it would dishonor the king and it would disempower his work. Because when he went to have an audience with the king, the king was honored by him seeking his presence and approval. And then when the king responded to that, the king would give him a stamp of approval. So wherever he would go from that place, he would have the authority with the king with him. An audience with the king is necessary for any activity within the kingdom. And we see this in Moses' life. Exodus chapter 33, it says that every morning, remember the man with the weight of the world on his shoulders, every morning he would go out to the tent of meeting, lowercase t. The tent of meeting, the place where he would meet God. And you say, God, I need your authority. I need your presence. I need your power and your wisdom, your strategy, all the things that you have for me in order to walk in the call that you have for me. You got these millions of people, millions of problems. They're, they're like kind of deviant and they're confused and they want to go back to slavery. God, I can't do this unless you give me what I need. Not just once, not just the sending, but in the sustaining. Mm -hmm. 
You've not called me to just go on my own volition. You've called me to be with you. Before he sends you to do anything, he calls you to himself. And I love this. This is one of my, I'll give you all my favorite verses today. It says after he would go in the tent, he would go out to be with the people. And isn't this the pull of our lives sometimes where we want to be with the Lord, but then there's the tension of the people. But there was this other guy named Joshua. It says Moses went to go be with the people, but Joshua stayed in the tent. Joshua knew where his first calling was. His time would come to go be with the people later, but for now, God him called, had called him to the tent. Is there anybody that God has called to the tent to be with him before he sends you to do anything? See, Moses learned something. Exodus chapter 33, he learned something. The tent every morning. You know where he learned it? I think through Exodus chapter 24. One of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. Thanks for laughing, Bonnie. I'm giving you all my favorites today. Exodus 24, verse 12, it says this to Moses. The Lord Yahweh said to Moses, come up to me. You recognize that language? Come up to me on the mountain and stay here. And I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction. Now, this is the NIV translation. That's a poor translation right there. Who am I to say? But... I've heard other people say it, so I'm going to say it. <laughs> Come up to the mountain and stay here. Well, that word in the Hebrew isn't stay. That word in the Hebrew is be. Come up to the mountain and be here. When I started preaching this years ago, interacting with this text, God would grip my heart every single time it would come out of my mouth. Because in this, you hear the longing of God. Come up to the mountain and be with me. That I might give you the thing that you need as you walk back down the mountain. In other words, G Yahweh is saying to Moses here, come up to the mountain, but make sure you are present with me in my presence. You ever been on a date before? Just question mark. <laughs> <laughs> comedic timing, perfection. <laughs> My mind, I was literally, I'm going to pause here and see what everybody does. You've been on a date before, maybe with your spouse, you've been married for 10 plus years, five plus years, some of us like one plus years. You're on a date and you're with somebody, but you're also in a million other places at the same time. Or you're in a, in a meeting with your boss, Sam, don't laugh at this one. And your boss is talking and talking and talking, and you're thinking about what's for dinner. <laughs> this was thousands of years ago, let alone today when we got tablets and phones and distraction. That is one of the like, hallmarks of our generation is that we can be somewhere, but we don't have to be there. And this is what Yahweh was saying to the Moses, Moses, come up to the mountain and make sure that the millions of problems that you have in your heart stay down there. Come be with me so that I can give you the things you need to solve all the problems that are down there.
His first calling was to be with him. And then you see Moses, Exodus 33, go to the tent of meeting every single morning. Because he learned God's heart, come be with me and I'll give you the things. Is this not exactly what Jesus is saying in Mark chapter 3? He called them up to a mountain to be with him. And then he sent them out to preach and to cast out demons. What is the mechanism? I'm going to review here. What is the mechanism that God has given us to be with him? Prayer. The point of this message is not pray more. Work harder. Spend more time. Climb the mountain. It's not pray more. Or to cause you to feel shame for not praying enough. I don't want to convince you to pray more. I want to convince you today of what you get in prayer. I want to convince you of who you get in prayer. I want to convince you of this result of prayer so that you can choose to pray more. Who said amen? Amen. There's this author named E.M. Bounds, and he wrote this book called Power Through Prayer, and I just remembered it as I was putting these notes together. And he had this one phrase in it. He said this, the church is looking for better methods, but God is looking for better men. And better men and women happen in the place of prayer. We're trying to fulfill a strategy that he gave us, and we're trying to find method after method, thing after thing, to fulfill the thing that he's called us to. And all along, he's just saying, come be with me, and I'll give you the thing you need to fulfill the thing I called you to. This kind only comes out by prayer. For not pursuing him in the place of prayer, we're looking for the solution in every place except the one in which it's truly found. Let me say that again. If we're not pursuing him in the place of prayer, we're looking for the solution in every place except the one place in which it's truly found. My journey of prayer is pretty simple. If you heard my story last week, about my journey with the Lord. It goes this way. God, I got to get a message to preach on Sunday. So I'm going to go to the place of prayer to get this message. That was where I was at in life. And I find out, okay, well, God does give messages, but I can go and deliver the message and it falls flat. So God, I don't need a message anymore. I need power to deliver the message. I'm not finished yet. Don't clap yet. <laughs> I'm on my journey. That's better than the first one. You got, you got that. God, I need a message. God, I need power to give the message. And then I found out, God, I need you. And when I get you, then I get the message. And I get the power to deliver the message. 
The journey of prayer went that way with me. God, I need something. You know what? If I had a Sunday off, you know how much I prayed? Not as much. <laughs> Probably like, thank you for the week off, God. I'll see you in, a, in two weeks. <laughs> can, can, can we relate, though? God, I need something from you. Okay, now, God, I need the power to do it. And God's like, okay, I'll take what I can get. But then you find out that he is the greatest treasure your life could ever be in pursuit of. And then we can say, God, this is still frustrating and not fulfilling, even doing the thing that you've called me to. And then you start to realize that that isn't even the thing he called you to. That's the result of the thing that he called you to, which is himself. He called them up the mountain to be with him. End of story. I mean, not really, but. The place of prayer. It's not what you get from the place of prayer. It's who you get in the place of prayer. Because God, when I get you, I get it all. And this is right down the middle of the definition of transactional relationship. The give and take, right? Like, God, I need something from you, so I'm going to go to you when I need something. And he is a provider. We should go to him in our need. But God wants more than that. He wants relationship. But you know what? I'm here to say, let's, let's, let's break it down. Almost every relationship is transactional. It is. I mean, there's an indictment on that. But relationship is giving myself away and receiving what the other person has. The question is, what is being transacted? Am I asking for something from him or am I asking of him? I want him or do I want something from him? Does he get my need or does he get me? It's a difference of what you get from a person versus what you get in a person. He is the source of life. And we all, <laughs> I'm going to set you up. Let's celebrate. I love having fun with you. He is the source of life. Yes. He is. He is the source of life. It's not he has the source of life. He is the source of life. And in order to receive the life found in the source, you have to connect to it. Can we wake up? Can you tell yourself to wake up? In order to receive the life found in the source, you have to connect your life to the source. I'm breaking it down for you. It's very simple. We, cannot, we can have a connection with God, but not receive all the connection has to offer. Connection is a noun, right? You have a connection, right? To connect is a verb. 
Anybody like grammar? Grammar can save us. Check your text messages. Theologically, we have a connection with the Father through Jesus because of his work and our faith in it. We have a connection. But to connect is different. To connect is engaging the connection that you have with him. Many of us are like, God, why am I not experiencing the things that you have promised me? Well, you're leaning on a connection without connecting. It's like having an outlet in your house and not plugging yourself into it. Don't plug yourself into it. <laughs> I can hear myself preaching my mind. You get the point. It's like wanting your hair dryer to work and not having it plugged into the wall. Nobody will deny that the connection is available. That's what Jesus gave us. Now it's time for us to engage the connection he's given us. And the answer, the way, the how to do that is one thing. It's prayer. They have this big issue. This kind, this won't come out. Why won't it come out? We have these huge like meta issues in our world right now. Is God real? Does he love us? I've served him my whole life. Now I want to walk away from him. I don't even know if he exists. I don't like the church. They're not doing great things. Could it be that all of the complicated nature of our faith in this day and age breaks down to what Jesus is saying here? This can only happen the way I've prescribed it by prayer. And when we don't get what he send us, sends us to do, we don't engage prayer. We try to make it happen with other means. It's where we get leaders trying to force something or bully something, manipulate something to happen. Then you have a bunch of broken people in its track. Could you imagine these disciples? It doesn't happen. Right? This demon doesn't come out. And then they're like, well, it's your fault. You should work harder. And they walk away. You heard this before? Or let's do something else to address this person's issue. Create a nice environment in which it's not a big deal. All in the name of Jesus. Where Jesus comes and says, no, don't do that, don't do that, because it's going to be a ripple of problem for generations. Just pray. Come back to the place you belong and engage my call from there. Could it be that every issue in Jesus' name in the church comes back to the people called to God, neglecting the call of God? Sam, you can come back. Team can come back. Jeremiah chapter 2. You guys okay if I tie my shoe right now? Yeah. <laughs> Jeremiah did not say that. <laughs> Jeremiah chapter 2, 13. 
you might think I'm oversimplifying the issue right now. I'm not. This is why I need you to get this today. That you engaging with the source of life changes everything. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. Listen to this. This is Yahweh, God, speaking through the prophet to the nation. He says this, My people have committed two sins. Well, Jeremiah, God, don't you think that's an oversimplification of what we're going through right here? Like this guy robbed from me, this guy lied to me, this person stole, they're worshiping other, there's sins everywhere. And God says to the prophet, there's two things that I have against you. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns broken cisterns that cannot hold water. There's two things I have against my people, and they're the same thing. That you've cut yourself off from the source of life and try to package it in a way that you can manage it how you want, when you want. But the package that you've put it in, it's got cracks and it got holes. It's the only thing I have against my people. You've cut yourself off from the source of life. And you're now drinking from a water that is stale and stagnant. It has no life in it anymore. Yet you think you're getting from it what you got from the source. You have the source of life, yet you go out to do what it's called you to without the source of life. And then it doesn't work out the way you want. And then you try to manufacture in your own strength what you think the result should be in God. And then you try that more than enough and you're like, hey God, I can't trust what you say anymore. I love you still, but I'm just gonna live a life that calls you by name, but I'm not gonna engage your promises anymore. Is a prophet telling an accurate story? This is what we try to do, isn't it? We take what we need from this source and we try to convince ourselves that we have what we need from the source. And then we come up with methods to store it and package it, all so we don't need to maintain the connection with the source. I'm too busy. I don't have time. There's other things pulling my attention. So God, thank you for what you gave me. I'm gonna use that for two or three weeks until I find out that it's pretty stagnant and I'll come back. And then we wonder why we run dry. Why life is stale and it's hard and it doesn't feel like life anymore. But it's as simple as this. Life flows through your connection to the source of life. 
They have forsaken me. The spring of living water. Prayer is your connection with the Lord. It's the conduit through which life flows from the source of life into your life. Don't get caught trying to do the things that he's called you to, even though he's called you to them without the source of life he's given you to you for them. The point of prayer is him. We get him. Oh, I want to stir some people. I was listening to a podcast last night trying to fall asleep. Lex Friedman. Anybody know this guy? Come on, where, where are my people at? <laughs> He's talking with his friends. He said this line. He said this, and he's not a believer, not a follower of Jesus that I know of. He says this, the place of mental health is peace. The epitome of mental health is peace. Is that not what the world is looking for? Is that not the gospel of Jesus? I couldn't believe that in one sentence he boiled down the issue of mental health. Its solution is found in peace. Here we have a king, a savior, a source of life who is called the Prince of Peace. And prayer is our connection with the one who is the Prince of Peace, who is peace himself. And as we engage the Prince of Peace, we don't get something from him, we get him. Is this not the solution that we need, that the world needs to be connected with the Father again through Jesus Christ? And here we are, the followers of Jesus, considering every day whether it's worth the time and investment to connect again to the source of life. What is more important? What is more important in your life? There was a scholar who said this, I have so many things to do today that I need to spend another hour in prayer. All of those things are gonna rob me of life, but I have one thing which is my priority that's gonna fill me with life, to do all the things that he's called me to. We've just gone out in our life and labeled other things as our fountain. My self-care day is a thing that I'm gonna look forward to as a source of life. My spouse, whether it's present or future, will be and is my source of life. Mi esposa. Mi Sarita. Tu eres mi fuente de vida. Sounds great. You celebrate it. I just said she's my fountain of life. 
Shout out Spanish Portuguese worship coming very soon. And it sounds romantic and it's beautiful. But how many of us are looking to those closest to us to be the thing that God wants to be for us? How many of us are looking for the time off or the spouse or the behavior or the if Trudeau gets his act together, then life can flow again. Let's be honest. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw some stuff out here. I want you to look at your own soul. If I just had this, then I could do this. And God says there's only one place that matters. You neglect it, all these other things come out of place. All these other problems come. I only have these two things against you, that you've forsaken your source of life. And now you're trying to get containers to sustain what can only be found in him. Oh, my God. Could it be this simple? This kind only comes out by prayer. Could it be that the frustrations that you're experiencing in life is only God's allowance to bring you back into the place of prayer again? God's allowing you to ex experience frustration. He set it up that way. He gave you a task to accomplish, like loving your spouse, and it's not working. God, you called me to it. Where's the power to do it? Why isn't he changing? Why can't I get this job? You called me to Canada. Where's the provision, God? You called me to leave my job. You called me to leave this relationship. You called me to step out in faith. Why isn't it happening? Could it be? Jesus just comes down the mountain. And he says, this can only happen by prayer. Just so happens to be that's my desire for you. God, why am I not defeating despair? Why am I still in fear? Why am I still dealing with this? Connect to the one who is the Prince of Peace. He will keep at perfect peace those whose minds are fixed on him because they trust in him. It means simply this. He is their source of life. Perfect peace. Are your hearts stirred? And then they said to Jesus, teach us how to pray. Which is our only right response in this moment. It's not my effort, God. It's not my ability. It's not my eloquence that's going to deepen our connection. It's going to be your spirit in me and my response to it driving me to Jesus in prayer. I know this is on the Lord's heart today.